This podcast has been made possible by Planful and U.S. Bank. This is episode 612. The fallacy of a CFO title is that you have all the answers. Uh, Every day I'm presented with something a little bit new. Every, Every day I'm presented with something a little bit different. And I'm not afraid to go out and ask the good questions of people who I feel are qualified to answer them and listen to their answers so they can they can teach me if it could be something fundamental that's just is as, as it always is in the business or it's you know could be something transactional which is in you know, which is going to be true in this ever-changing world we're in Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we speak to David Wells, CFO of Endra Life Sciences. More than 1.4 billion people today struggle and suffer with fatty liver disease. Endra is along the front lines battling the disease. Its promising new offerings are being commercialized and are what led David Wells to join the firm as CFO. He shares his journey from information technology to life sciences after this. In an ever-changing world, it can be tough to keep up with the latest FP&A trends and innovations that keep you ahead of the game. Luckily, there's a podcast for that. Tune in to Being Planful, the podcast for finance leaders and planning experts, and stay in the know about what's happening in planning and forecasting. Guests like influencer Chris Ortega, Boston Red Sox CFO Tim Zhu, and Brian Lapidus of AFP will keep you up to speed on how you can put finance in the driver's seat this year. Find the full episodes at beingplanful.com or wherever you get your podcasts. P.S. Think you might make a great guest on the show? Shoot host Rowan Tonkin an email at beingplanful at planful.com. We're speaking with David Wells, CFO of Endra Life Sciences. David, welcome. Jack, thanks for having me. I appreciate your time. David, we begin by asking our guests uh, to look back for us and share some of those experiences they feel prepared them for a finance leadership role. What comes to mind for you? You know, I've had a a very fortunate career. Uh, I've stumbled across some opportunities that I didn't know would prepare me quite the way they have. Uh, You know, starting off as a commercial banker in the Silicon Valley in the mid 80s taught me something very, very important, taught me cash flow. Um, And to, you know, as I was lending uh, money to early stage growing companies in the hardware sector and watch some of them literally grow their way out of business, I learned it's not about the bottom line, it's about cash flow. 
very important to understand that. Second opportunity that comes to mind is my uh, chance to sell technology for IBM. Most uh, finance guys, most CFOs, don't have an opportunity to actually be on a uh, on a quota, and I did, and I learned to sell from the best. IBM is a is a fantastic company. Um, if I had anything to do over my career, I probably would have stayed with them longer than I did. Um, but to have that in my tool bag uh, has has been outstanding. And then very quickly, third, an opportunity again in the Silicon Valley somewhere in the 90s with a turnkey manufacturing company. And I learned the modeling, uh, the art of modeling and the art of understanding customers and relating the, the finance results to the customer needs and expectations. So those, those would be the things that come to mind. Now, you've had senior finance roles and finance leadership roles in different industries, but I'm curious about, had you had an earlier life sciences uh, company uh, that you were involved with? Uh, is this the first? And if you wouldn't mind, tell us uh, if this is a fact, industry really didn't matter to your career. Good question. I th think uh, the simple answer is industry doesn't really, hasn't mattered in my career. I have always loved technology. In fact, all the way back uh, in the 70s, I was programming on Hollerith cards. I love tech. I understand how it works. I love data. Uh, when I was CFO of HSO business systems in Europe, aside from just having a terrific opportunity to live and work in Europe, uh, specifically in Holland, it was an opportunity for me to uh, actually build software that uh, did data collection. And so, so I love tech. Coming to Endra, uh, while it's my first life science company, we, we are equally as focused on data, uh, which is a big part of our offering. And as a public company CFO, much of being CFO is about uh, the process of being public, you know, getting public, staying public, doing it cost effectively, doing it uh, correctly. And so that ends up capturing a lot of my, you know, a lot of my time to then learn enough about the business to be able to present it in different forums. That's actually for me the fun part. I have, I, I have just been fascinated when I sit with our PhDs and I sit with our scientists and I'm learning about how all this stuff works. And it's been, it's actually been great fun. Well, interesting. Uh, we want to ask you about Indra Life Sciences. For some reason, I thought you folks were in New Jersey or, or Boston. And I see that, um, is it, am I right? You're up in Michigan. Is that, is that correct? Sure. We're, we're headquartered in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Uh, and we did that for several reasons, not the least of which is uh, we have access to the University of Michigan PhDs, which are some, some you know, brilliant people. Um, it, it's, it, it's a less competitive market than some of the markets you just mentioned. We have some fantastic talent that we've been able to attract and retain. And candidly, we don't have as much of a turnover as you might in other cities where there's you know fewer companies looking to attract. So so yeah, so we're we're in Ann Arbor. Um, I think to a, a measure of the times, 
we are distributed. I'm, you know, I, I reside in uh, Southern California. Uh, we've got other executives who reside in other parts of the country. We've mastered Zoom, which of course, I'm sure we'll get to COVID, but you know, we've kind of had to, but we are already very, you know, we'd already uh, uh, had that involved in our management process and management practice. Uh, but that's why, that's why Ann Arbor, because there's just some spectacular talent. Now, it would be interesting to discover how you got connected to Endra, how it became part of your world. Was it something that uh, goes far back, or was it just uh, happenstance? What would you tell us? Yeah, so the, the way it all transpired is actually at the time I had formed a CFO services company. Um, one, of the, one of the premises, one of the beliefs I have about uh, the CFO position is that a good a good management team can run a company with four or five or six bits of data that are timely, accurate, and relevant. They don't need a full set of financials every day. So if you if you put in a good information system and you have a consistent and executed process, you're going to have those those elements that management can then run the company. And so I had formed a CFO service company uh, that put in tools, we built some software, we had some processes that allowed for that. And as a result, I had different friends, you know, investment bankers, uh, um, lawyers, auditors come to me and say, hey, you know, we have this company and they need this kind of help. And Endra was initially one of those companies. What attracted me uh, after the initial introduction was the quality of the people. Um, our founder, uh, Mike Thornton, is a brilliant guy. I'd, I'd go into battle with him again any day of the week. He knows what he's doing. He had a very clear vision. He has a you know history and a record of success. He'd done this before. He'd built a company and sold the company. And so that was my introduction. And then when we brought on our CEO, uh, uh, Francois Michelin, Francois is a true CEO. Many small cap companies have industry experts. They know their domain, but they don't know how to run a business. And so I saw somebody there who really knew how to run the business. Um, recently, we've brought on a commercialization expert who, you know, who, who knows what he's doing, knows the industry. They're looking to me to be an expert in my domain. They need to know that if 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 we're going to go public, which we did in May of seventeen, then I need to. They need to know that I know what I'm doing, that I understand the capital markets, that I understand the the disclosure and the requirements, that I understand how to conduct a you know investor conference, and so it, it it's kind of the flip side. They want me to know my business, and they're going to tell me enough that I need to know about their side of the business. Now, that's very helpful. And you've already had a number of financial milestones. The IPO you mentioned, you've raised money. Um, and let's find out about what this company does. And I, I've written down here, Thermoacoustic Enhanced Ultrasound <laughs> Technology. Um, and T-A-E-U-S yeah, has its own acronym. That's always good. Um, will enable clinicians to visualize human tissue similar to an MRI. So fairly leading edge, I would imagine. Tell us a little more about it. Very leading edge. And it's, it, it's certainly some of the names are complicated, but I think the process is pretty simple. What we do is we allow clinicians in their office alongside an existing ultrasound machine to 
tap the liver with a sound wave. We read the returning wave and we can then interpret and help the clinician monitor how much fat somebody has in their liver. Um, liver fat is a big problem affected by 1.4 billion people. The NASH field, non-alcoholic steatohepatosis and non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, NAFLI, is a you know very big industry. There are there are many therapeutics, many drugs, over well over 50 that are vying for FDA approval to address the issue. And where we fit into that process is this: imagine having high blood pressure, and imagine having the medication to be able to address that high blood blood pressure, but imagine not having a blood pressure cuff. So you would have no reasonable way to monitor if the therapy is working or if the lifestyle change is working. Right now, the only way a clinician is going to know whether you or I have fat in our liver is to either do an MRI, which is very accurate but very expensive, or uh, to do a uh, biopsy, which is very bloody, very invasive, and candidly not something you're going to do every three months to see how the fat in your liver is progressing. I want to ask you about the IPO, the decision to raise money through an IPO. Were there other sources of capital uh, under consideration? Not everyone might have gone that, taken that path. What What would you share with us about the decision to to, to raise money at, through an IPO? A uh, good question. Uh, the yeah, it, part of my job uh, has always been at, at certainly at Endra and and every company for which I've been CFO is is working with existing investors um, and keeping them up to date, hearing from them what their expectations are. The group that had originally invested in IPA, uh, in, in Endra was very comfortable with the idea of an early stage IPO for a company like this. They They knew that we would need some time to hit some milestones to really back at the time we did the IPO, the product wasn't even created. I mean, it was we, we had designed it in the lab, but in terms of having you know working units, we were far from that. And so, the investor group led us to the the idea and the opportunity. They knew that I had the experience uh, to uh, manage public companies, so they were comfortable that they, that if we got public, we'd have somebody sitting in the seat that could do it. And it was just, you know, it was kind of a natural uh, next step for the existing investors to say, okay, let's, let's flip it public and, and, you know, allow others to invest in a more liquid format as compared to private, uh, privately held deals. And let me say, I spent the 90s with in private companies, you know, a lot of time in the Silicon Valley, you know, up and down Sand Hill Road. And I like the public company model. I think the ability to raise money and manage your different choices is is easier on the public side. Not everybody agrees with that, but it's kind of my preference. And it often comes down to that. It's often the, does the CFO operate in this environment uh, comfortably and effectively? Your your team had to be pretty small when you first arrived. Yeah, I, I, I came into something that uh, was very early stage. I mean, there was a there was a part time bookkeeper in place. 
Um, there really wasn't, there weren't any financial models built. Uh, there was sporadic relationships with, or sporadic, sporadic communication with the investors. Uh, not inappropriate, just not organized. So yes, I, I'm the one who initially rationalized the capitalization table which you know, many times in, in early companies, you're going to have a deal made on top of a deal made on top of a deal, and they may not have a harmony. <laughs> and I say, I say that with a big smile and a lot of love. Uh, so you know, first you gotta get the you know, capitalization table harmonized, then you've gotta build you know, some models. Then, you know, sounds silly, but you need a chart of accounts that makes sense, and you need an internal process to record the data. You know, I say, uh, you know, the best CFO is only as good as his or her worst bookkeeper, you know, because ultimately you've got to have good data uh, flowing up. So, yeah, I'm, I'm responsible for all of that. We've learned uh, a good way to understand a finance leader's priorities is to ask them what uh, are those top of mind metrics? What are those numbers that matter to you now as you open this this chapter with Indra? Yeah, I think uh, you know we we had our CE mark granted in March of 2020, March of this year. So we now have the ability to start selling. Obviously, the um, uh, COVID has not aided that process because we can't travel. We, you know, uh, and people with, you know, that we're relating to in Europe are limited. Um, our testing, some of our additional testing that will be used to support our sales have been delayed because of COVID. So, you know, the, the things that, that we pay attention to now are how can we make sure that we're setting up for sale of the product uh, as, as today we haven't sold any yet but we just got the authorization for Europe we'll be filing our FDA by uh, the end of June all of that's public information and so you know how are we setting up for sale how are we uh, establishing our supply chain and making sure that as we sell we have the right product in the right place and ideally at the right cost having developed it also paying attention to the messages and the timing that we're you know putting out to the public and and making sure that our investors and our shareholders um, are aware and that we're achieving as fair a valuation in the market as possible obviously we don't do anything to influence our price but uh, we want to make sure that we're we're telling a good story um, and you know so so those are those those are some of the numbers of course in this environment and and probably the last issue that every cfo is going to be paying attention to right now is cash you know wh where what's my cash balance what are my sources for cash as a early stage pre-revenue company you know i joke that we don't really have cash flow we have cash drain because we don't have it coming in from sale of the product so as a result we really have to manage expectation and we have to manage spending. We have to manage markets and we have to manage the, the methods of raising that we have available to us so that we, you know, we, we optimize all of them. And that's, you know, there's no science to that. That's just art. Curious about how uh, this business responded to uh, the pandemic initially, if you, don't mind taking us back to uh, perhaps early March and how it came on your, your radar that this was going to be something much more severe. Maybe it's something you 
uh, you had indicators earlier. What, what, what would you share with us? Well, I, I think from an in, from an indicator standpoint, I, I think we we were we were kind of just watching news news like everybody else, and as this began to get you know more and more um, um, reported in the news and and more and more impactful in what people were doing, we began to pay more attention. I have to say, I'm very very proud of my company and my management team uh, because I think we've turned this opportunity into a way that you know every morning now we're all on a zoom call and i think we're actually connecting better and communicating better uh the you know the our our, our employees and our staff they're working just as hard if not harder uh to you know move the you know move the product and continue the development and begin the commercialization um and so in in i mentioned earlier that the the uh uh, clinical trials, which are true across the board for every company, those have been slowed and delayed, and that's unfortunate. But you know, there's really nothing we can do about that. Aside from that, I, I think we've been able to kind of continue quite efficiently and effectively, notwithstanding this this uh, epidemic. Let's all agree that travel is going to be restricted for an indefinite period of time. As a result, the the platforms to interact and connect um, we're going to have to utilize those um, you know better than the rest we're going to have to get to those faster we're going to have to convert our thinking and methodology to to remote communication as compared to in in person communication it's one of the advantages of being an early stage company and knowing that you know we we do have to respond to market conditions whatever they may be um, so that's that's really I think the best thing we can do because we we know the clinicians are going to be wanting this and our job is to fi figure out how do we get to them if we can't knock on their front door. Okay, well we're up to our finance strategic moment question and this is where we ask you to share a story of a time in your finance career doesn't have to be recent could have been 10 years ago, 20 years ago when you experienced a moment of strategic insight because of your lines of sight into the organization and the numbers. Anything come to mind when we ask for a finance strategic moment? It does, um, and it is, is actually many years ago, but it was very poignant and I think relevant to m much of what I've done since. Um, I was with a turnkey manufacturing company. Uh, this is actually in the the mid 90s in the Bay Area a company called Logistics. I was a senior business analyst there. Uh, we, we did about three or 400 million a year in revenue. Some very large companies were, were our customers. And I had taken over alongside uh, uh, another associate, um, the management of a large relationship with uh, a large chip manufacturer. And there was a lot of confusion, a lot of frustration as to what the prices for our services and our product, what the prices should be, how they should be managed, how they should be maintained. Basically, we needed a really sophisticated pricing model that the customer would accept. I mean, at the end of the day, if I learned anything from IBM, it was the customer is always right. And if the customer is wrong, refer back to rule number one. I mean, the customer is always right, and they were the customer. 
And so what I did alongside another individual, another guy, is we built this model and it was very intricate, it was very specific, but it was modeled exactly the way the customers saw their business. We presented it to them, we walked them through it, they accepted it. And what was important about that is about four months later, as that model was working, when I saw what was happening in the business, I knew that, that a condition was going to happen where my company was going to make a lot of money in a very short period of time. And ethically, I went to the customer and say, listen, this model that we built that's working, there's kind of a flaw in it, and it's a flaw in our favor. What's going to happen in your business in the next six weeks is this and this, and we're going to end up making a fortune. And I, that's not what anybody intended. And I don't want this, you know, I don't want you to view us as, as unethical. And they said, we love the model. We're fine with that. Keep it going. And, you know, my company made as much money in six weeks as it would have made through usually, you know, four to five months. And I was very proud of that. And it, what it taught me was you've got to listen to your customers. You've got to understand your business. And you also, also understand how, how they view their business. And if you can put all of that together and distill it down into tools that will then quantify the activity, then as a CFO, you're in perfect shape to be able to make the right decisions, both for the customer and for your own company. When we come back, CFO David Wells enters the mentoring round. The business landscape is changing quickly. As the pressure to manage expenses efficiently and strategically increases, you need solutions that not only help drive down costs and improve efficiencies, but meet the changing needs of your business. At U.S. Bank, we can help. We'll work with you to uncover your specific payment challenges and bring you proactive and innovative solutions and strategies that help you meet the financial goals of your organization. Our commitment to doing the right thing for our customers has earned us the designation of one of the world's most ethical companies from the Ethisphere Institute for six years in a row. To learn more, visit us at usbpayment.com. Hello, we're back and we're in the mentoring round with CFO David Wells. David, we begin with this question and it's for you to look back again uh, and think about one of the the first times you stepped into a CFO role, uh, for all those future leaders out there or those who are perhaps uh, their first quarter in such a role, what advice would you give your younger self uh, at that stage where you've just entered the CFO role? If only I knew then what I know now, what would you share? Good question. Um, several answers. Number one, and this is something I did early on without realizing it. It was just kind of natural to me. And that was maintain relationships, maintain connections. It's so much easier today with tools like LinkedIn and others. But to maintain the, the relationships that you build along the way with qualified people in the different segments, um, either industry or functional, uh, so important to ma maintain those 
relationships. You never know when you're going to need to be able to make a phone call, when you're going to need a resource. I mean, the CFO is kind of like the center uh, on the basketball team. We, you know, we, we may not shoot a lot, but we pass the ball. The, you know, the idea is to make sure you have the right lawyers in place or the right bankers in place or the right, you know, other, you know, vendors, the right professionals. And so having those relationships, maintaining those relationships is key, number one. Number two, and I'll steal a line from Tony Robbins many, many years ago, ask good questions of qualified people and listen to their answers. The fallacy of a CFO title is that you have all the answers. Uh, every day I'm presented with something a little bit new. Every, every day I'm presented with something a little bit different. And I'm not afraid to go out and ask the good questions of people who I feel are qualified to answer them and listen to their answers so they can, they can teach me. It, it could be something fundamental that's just is as, as it always is in the business, or it's you know could be something transactional, which is in you know, which is going to be true in this ever-changing world we're in. Um, third, always keep a sense of humor. Um, I'm I'm kind of known that actually the the bosses that I've worked for were never a hundred percent sure what was going to come out of my mouth next. Um, I'm actually you know played this interview fairly straight, so <laughs> it makes it easier. Bring it on! But, we're ready. We're ready. <laughs> but. But you know, you, you've you've got to be able to to put and keep things in perspective. Um, you know, the CFO job is one of uh, of the straight man is one of the number one. If you're a you know Star Trek Next Generation fan, I you know I'm not Jean-Luc Picard, but I'm number one. And so the trick is to be able to know what to say, when to say it. You know, be very conscious, be very involved, without feeling like you've got to be the one stepping out at the end of the day finance is not the dog sales you know sales and product are the dog or the tail and you know accept that appreciate that but understand that as you know a critical role in the process well we like to uh, ask our guests to reflect a little bit about themselves which you surprisingly have here and now across uh, this interview uh, David but right now uh, just specific, if there's a habit that you have or part of a daily routine, something that you do outside of work that in some way has contributed uh, to your professional success. Yeah, I, I, I think, um, and, and I would love to say it's been a perfectly consistent habit. Um, it hasn't, but I find that if I can maintain my own personal discipline, my own faith, which for me is very personal. Um, and while I'm not espousing any, I would say, you know, maintaining my own faith and my devotion and my foundation so that that's as strong as can be, then that allows me to stand on top of that, not be distracted by, you know, the rest of life, which inevitably comes. Uh, but I, you know, and and so I think really, you know, maintaining my faith and my faithfulness is is something that allows me to be a better CFO, and um, also just allows me to be a better better father and better participant, and you know, all the things that we do in life. Wonderful. It, we've had a, a few CFOs, not many, that have reflected on the faith and, and the role it plays in their lives. So uh, thank you uh, for that, David. Uh, we are up to our final question. What are your priorities 
as a finance leader over the next 12 months? Well, as a CFO of a public company, understanding that we haven't provided guidance to the market, so, you know, I can't and won't give numbers and specifics. You know, I think the priority over the next 12 months is to monitor as best as possible the evolving uh, world conditions for capital, for uh, accept, you know, new product acceptance, for the ability to, you know, for, for, for our ability to sell our product. That's number one. Uh, number two, I would say, is uh, making sure that, that we have installed and maintained the best infrastructure so that we have the right information, we have the right data, we're as efficient as possible. Now that we're, you know, growing into, you know, product delivery and, and you know, sales that, that we've got good information that, you know, the members of my team are operating with visibility and we're not guessing on anything. And then I think third is just to, you know, maintain the overall structure and integrity of our public status and, you know, making sure that we as a, as a public company are doing everything that we need to, everything that we should, and everything we can for our investors and shareholders. At the end of the day, it really is their company, and I don't take that charter lightly. And in this time of incredible uncertainty, uh, I think our job, my job as a CFO, is to make sure that we communicate uh, completely and we can communicate timely and we communicate uh, uh, you know fairly to them the status of the business so they can make their best decisions David Wells thank you for joining us on CFO thought leader hey Jack Jack thank you very much I've thoroughly enjoyed and appreciate the opportunity to give some insights Hello, listeners. Do us a favor. Be certain to subscribe to CFO Thought Leader on Apple Podcasts. Or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or Google Play. If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Oh, and by the way, the CFO Yearbook 2021 Print Edition debuts on Amazon this quarter featuring 100 profiles of finance leaders from our 2020 season. Would you like to learn more about our CFO guests? Order the CFO Yearbook 2021. Thank you for supporting our efforts to bring you career journeys of CFOs driving change. We'll be back with another episode very soon. Thank you for listening.